0: Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name's Shelley Johnson and I'm a HR consultant. And today on the show, we're talking about overcoming your fear of public speaking. And for so many of us, we struggle with this idea of getting up and speaking in public, whether it be in a meeting, whether it be a presentation to clients or to staff, whatever the scenario, public speaking is a challenge. So today on the show, I'm joined by a friend of mine, Shil Shengavi, who I met at a speaking event in Sydney. Shil shared his story about what got him into public speaking, and he is a remarkable human. He is this person that is just inspiring to be around. You leave after having a conversation with Shil and you feel like you can do anything, and you really can because he gives you these strategies for how you can overcome fear in your thinking and how you can push past the things that hold you back and move into a state of discomfort because it'll benefit your career. And wow, this conversation was just so powerful. So you're going to love this episode, but a little bit about Shill. Shill is a public speaking specialist, storyteller, and highly regarded speaker coach. He's been redefining the meaning of public speaking by demonstrating its value across all forms of communication, and he's presented across most industries around the world, online and in person. She is the head of speaker coaching for TEDx Perth. She runs the business Chatterbox Public Speaking, and he's a highly engaging communicator. He shows you how to control your emotions, how to speak confidently, and how to connect with your audience. In 2021, an award-winning short film documentary of Shill's life was released globally. This documentary is an intimate behind-the-scenes look at Shill's story and his public speaking journey. If public speaking is something you've wanted to develop and grow in, then this episode is for you. Hi, Shill, How are you?
1: Hello. I'm fabulous. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm good. And Shill. We first met a few months ago, was it? Mm. I I can't even remember. It felt like a lifetime ago, but we met at a conference and I heard you speak and I just thought, I have to have Shil on our podcast. And here we are today, finally recording, because I really want to pick your brain on this whole idea of public speaking, Mm. which is your zone. Mm. Tell me a bit about what got you into the space of public speaking.
1: Before I do, we met in November. I remember it at Speakership in Sydney. We were overlooking the beach and the venue was stunning. All right, now let me answer your question. What got me into public speaking? Two things. One is f- fear. I've always been afraid of it. And I'm assuming like 90% of the population, it's been the one thing where I felt. I never want to do this. I never want to be in a situation where I have to do this. However, over my life and as my career has progressed, I've realized it's a critical skill. And if we can feel comfortable with doing it, then we can expect our career to to progress faster. So one is the fear. And two, the fear is driven by a lifetime stutter, which may come out occasionally during this podcast And so since I was 10 years old, I have struggled to say my name. And as I've grown older, it became worse and more debilitating to the point where there were years where I couldn't string together a sentence. And so when you can't speak clearly or say your name, you live in a constant state of stress and panic and anxiety, which further fueled my fear of speaking. And I thought, enough of this bullshit. I'm allowed to say that, right?
0: You are, 100%.
1: (laughs) Enough of this bullshit. I'm going to teach myself public speaking because if I can do that, I have to control my stuttering. So that's what got me into it.
0: I just want to dig into that a bit. You got into public speaking because of your stutter. So it was a desire to overcome the fear associated with public speaking. Is that how you would say you got into it?
1: Uh, The um, The main driver was a desire to say my name. Wow. I've not been able to say my name without it sounding like this. Shill. And that's what I've been used to my whole life. Well, for for most of my life. So my main driver was I want to be able to say my name without that elongated shh. And... I always thought it would feel cool if I could speak without fumbling my words. And so that that was my primary driver was I wonder what it would feel like to be able to speak like everybody else I come across.
0: Wow. It's such a, I mean, hearing your story and when I, I had, it was such a privilege to hear your story at the conference that we were at. I want to understand, Shil, about that journey for you. What did that journey look like? So the desire to be able to go from I want to be able to say my name without a stutter through to then becoming a professional speaker who's highly sought after and who trains people now in public speaking. You've done this incredible journey. Tell me about that process for you.
1: The process, thank you for your kind spiel. Uh, The process has been thousands of hours of stress and anxiety and not feeling good enough or worthy and keeping all my thoughts inside me. However, I realized the feelings I was having and as a result of keeping all the thoughts inside me, I was thinking so much about this that in my mind, I was developing my own strategies. And so part, part of it was developing what we believe are, perhaps, I I may be the only person in the world who, who applies some of the strategies that I apply to control my stutter. And over time, I experimented, I tested, And through the testing and experimenting, I found ways for me to speak like this. However, in order to speak like this, there's a juggling act in my head, which needs to happen constantly. And if it doesn't happen constantly, then I lose my fluency. So it's been 25 years, 30 years of... Thinking, testing, trying, experimenting, and even today, constantly evolving on the strategies which I teach myself.
0: And I'd love to know what is going through your mind as you're speaking, because I heard you share a bit about this process. Is this something that you feel like you're open, I guess, to sharing with our listeners?
1: Of course. What goes through, through, through my mind is when you ask me a question and I respond to that question I uh, the first thing I do is understand the tempo of how my response is going to be and to adjust to the tempo I kick in a musical track now I've programmed in 162 tracks in my head Uh, each of them are a a progressive house or a progressive breaks beat, which is the style of music I like. And the reason I like it is because it plays at what's called a four on the floor beat, which is So I've memorized all the time signatures of every track that I have in my head. Once I understand the tempo of my response, I coordinate the sentences to the time signatures. I then create a runway where I understand what are the syllables and the sentences that I need to put together. And how can I put them together without stumbling, which is where mind mapping comes into play. So I can see all the words and all the sentences that I'm approaching. And if I can feel one's going to be a rough stutter, I change the tempo of the beat. I swap over the words and the sentences, which then allows me to speak in a particular way. And then I coordinate that with systematic breathing, pausing, and see it's happening now (laughs) breathing pausing and slowing down
0: wow I just think you are hearing you talk about your process is so remarkable and I remember hearing you tell a bit of a story around this idea of realizing that your stutter put you into this elite category can you share that with us
1: sure my entire life, I've thought of my stutter as being a glitch in my system, a weakness and something to be embarrassed about and conscious of because it is, it's strange when you meet a person and they ask you for your name and you, t- 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 and you can't get your name out. So it, it's awkward and tense. So for my whole life, I've thought of it as being an embarrassing d- disability Until I learned that, now when you heard me speak about this, the figure I gave was 3%. Now, that's changed, and I'll I'll give everybody some context around what that means. I learned that 1% of the world's population stutters, and when I learned that That's the amount of people in the world who stutter. It flipped the thinking I have because I realized if you live in the 1% of any category, you belong in a world-class elite category. And so I burnt that into my mind and that's what I always tell myself, that I live in a unique elite category, which enables me to do things around my speaking, around my communication that 99% of people would never have to think about.
0: No, that's right. And I absolutely, like the thing is, as a listener of you and hearing you speak, you are elite, you are a remarkable communicator. And I remember sitting, I was sitting in the room and I was like, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. (laughs) Because I was so moved by you sharing your story with such Like this, the way you speak is so captivating. You're also very compelling and you connect with people on such a real and authentic level, Shil. And so I just hearing your experience of going from the fear around speaking, which is which most of it's experience, but for you is a part of your story with navigating your stutter, and then going through and becoming a professional public speaker who trains corporates, huge businesses all across Australia. Talk to me and, and I, I just would love to know about when you say you've put in a thousand hours, what are you doing to practice this skill? And so for us who are have, because for me I speak a lot as well but I still get so nervous all the time, what are the strategies you use to overcome those nerves that you experience when you get up and speak?
1: I always get nervous. So I've delivered hundreds of talks, hundreds of I've been involved in hundreds of events, thousands of events, and I still get nervous every time. I'm nervous now on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't be, because it's just you and me. <laughs> well, well, well the, the nervous be, be, because I'm conscious that I may have a rough stutter, and if I do, it may sound awkward for our listeners, so I'm always thinking of that. But to answer your question, uh, the first thing I... I encourage people to shift their perspective on is we don't get over the nerves. The nerves will always be there. And so we embrace them. We step into them. You you would know this. And there's a lot of information about this on the internet. The nerves will never go away, but we can learn to manage them. And one of the strategies that I used to manage mine is my opening 60 seconds. Now, People talk about nail the way you start your presentation or your facilitation or the way you're introducing an event, but I break it down even further. So I have a three-step process with how I break down my initial 60 seconds. And that three steps is my first 10 seconds, my second 20 seconds, and then my third 30 seconds. And whenever I write my intros out, I time first 10, second 20, third, the 30, and I deliver that over and over again because the process I have in my mind is the first 10 gives us control over our voice. The second 20 builds our confidence and the third gives us cadence. And when we can take that into the rest of what we're saying, we feel better as we progress through. So th- that's a strategy I use to manage my nerves.
0: Oh my gosh, I'm just thinking now uh, back to some talks that I've done and I know that first 10 seconds, what you described as your voice and I can fit now it's like taking me back into those moments, Shea, where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in the in that 10 seconds and my voice is a bit wobbly and I'm like a bit nervous. Having that breakdown and even a strategy in your mind that, okay, 10 seconds helps me to control my voice and then the next 20 seconds is about building confidence – Talk to me about that third section of cadence. What do you mean when you say cadence? Our delivery. Yeah.
1: Once we control our voice and we feel confident, we can then get into the strength of our delivery. So so an example is the weekend. I challenged myself to do something which – absolutely freaking terrified me on the weekend. I mean, freaking terrified me. We've all heard of TED Talks and TEDx. So I was accepted to deliver a Todd talk. Now, Todd means terrible ideas improvised. And it's one of the most... Popular stand-up comedy shows at the Fringe Festival. So I had to deliver an impromptu stand-up comedy talk in front of hundreds of people, and I've never done that before. So the idea is the audience gives you a topic to talk about, and you need to bullshit your way through the topic while there are slides that appear in the background and you're handed prompts to talk about. So...
0: (laughs) Honestly, I'm terrified for you. Tell us more. Tell us what happened. I
1: I I, I, I remember going to the, the 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 first ever Todd talk, and I thought, wow, this is cool. And I've been to every single one after that. And for the last two years, I've been applying, and I was determined to try because I wanted test my abilities in all types of situations where i'm in front of an audience and so i i got the call last weekend not the weekend gone but the one prior and they said you're in the event's in a week and i thought (laughs) oh shit that doesn't give me much time to prep for this at all (laughs) shit (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) The reaction, the instinct I had was say no, because there's no way that you can do this. However, after trying for two years, there was no way I was going to turn it down. So I accepted it. And uh, you can't prepare for it. So whilst I prepared every day by doing a practice run at home, what made me feel better on the night was this opening 60-second strategy. And what I went in with was knowing what my opening story was going to be and understanding how I'm going to link that opening storyline to whatever question I'm asked. And by doing that, I applied my 10 and my 20, which means by the time I got to the 30, I knew where to build the segue and how to deliver confidently. Wow. However, I was still, and I'm going to be blunt about this, I was shitting myself This was terrifying.
0: (laughs) Honestly, that sounds like, I think most of our listeners will be going, this sounds like my legitimate worst nightmare. So there's so much in what you've just said that I've like, I'm I'm writing notes because I've got to come back to that. I've got to come back to that. But tell me, what was the topic on?
1: The topic was how I used tofu to build a global empire.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And so how did you link your opening story to that?
1: I I started with, uh, I am what you call a Kindian, which is a Kenyan Indian, which means I'm an Indian who was born in Kenya. Whenever I speak to Uber drivers about this, it fucks with their heads. And (laughs) that, that was my opening. I then took that into growing up. I remember speaking to my parents who had high expectations of me and I broke those expectations by telling them that I have an ambition to create a global tofu empire. And... <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So, And then from there, the first image appears, ping, and it was a castle. So then I had to link that to the castle and to a series of images that appeared and it was... Look, it was scary. However, I'm confident in my ability to stay calm. Mm -hmm. Even though in my head I was panicking, I went back to basics. And I say this to anybody who is presenting. If there are three things we can do religiously, it will make us better presenters. Number one, breathe. Take your time and breathe. Uh, Two, slow down. And three, systematic pauses. Or conscious pausing, so I went back to basics and I kept applying those those three, uh, plus the other approach I had for this, considering its stand up comedy, was I went in with three beats in my head. Uh, the slowest tempo was a surrender by uh, Rufus de Soul. you may have heard of it yes, the second one was uh, a Hernan Catania track, which is from the t- which is from a twenty twenty two the festival. And the faster track was scrammed by Plump DJs. So I had those three in my head, which means if I had to slow down, I went to Rufus. If I had to speak at a medium pace, I went to Catania. If I had to speed up, I went to Plump DJs.
0: There's so much of what you do where you put yourself into really uncomfortable situations. And I love, you mentioned this thing, instinct. So when you got the caller to do the Todd talk, I'm just imagining you getting a week's notice and the instinct is say no. And I think that resonates for a lot of us when it comes to public speaking and presenting at work or in in any category where we get this instinct to go, my initial reaction is to say no. What is it that you do to overcome that initial fear and step into these situations that are extremely challenging and terrifying for us?
1: I'll explain my thought process, and then I'll explain how I feel this could link to others. Uh, the reason I say yes is because I believe most people, and if we put a number to that, 95% of people would say no. There is no way I'm standing up in front of 300 people and doing improv, stand-up, comedy. Absolutely not. My thinking is that's ninety five percent of people. So if I'm in the f- five five percent who says yes, instantly I have a a level of bravery and courage and possibly credibility that five that only five percent of people have. Now within the five percent, if I can prepare myself and do well, then it takes me to the two or three percent because. Uh, I'm not a professional stand-up comedian, and the, the, the people who are the best on the night are professional stand-up comedians, and I held my own against them. So that's the, 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 the thinking I have. The other part was if I can leverage the content out of this. So I wore a lapel, the same as I did with speakership. I wore wore a lapel, I got my wife to sit in the front row and she recorded the whole thing for me. Plus the photos which we got, the content which we got out of this is brilliant, which will now be distributed on my speaker kit and snippets of me speaking. So I'm going to find ways to leverage this. If I said no, I wouldn't have had any of this. And also the last part is I thought about the way I would feel the day after. So if I say yes, and if I do well, how will I feel the next day? Now to manage that, there's a, I read a lot of football books, and a concept I learned is called ANTS, A-N-T-S, and how we all have ants in our head. Now, ANTS, I learned stands for automatic negative thoughts. Now if we can get ANTS out of our head, And think about what could happen after and the feeling of adrenaline, fulfillment and achievement. I focus on that, which is what makes me say yes to get over the fear element. And there's also a cool breakdown of what fear stands for by somebody called Zig Ziglar. Have you heard of him? Yeah. You may have heard of this. He defines it in two ways. One, fear could stand for... Uh, forget everything and run or it could stand for face everything and rise which one are you going to do and so for most people we say no because we have ants in our head we think of the worst case we want to forget everything and run however by saying yes instantly it puts you into a category of few people who agree to the opportunity and fortune favors the brave as they say So if you say yes, and you work hard at it, you feel powerful, you get career opportunities, you get content opportunities. And when you find a way to package that and you find a way to leverage that, then there are 95% of people, and we're we're generalizing a number here, 95% of people who wouldn't have that same leverage opportunity that you would. I hope all of that makes sense.
0: Uh. So much sense. Oh, like that idea of when you say yes, you're going to be in the 5% of people who say yes. And then if you actually prepare and not like you don't, you couldn't do too much preparation, but you did a little bit of prep on that first one minute. And then that takes you up to that next bracket. And I love your message of you can actually step into by overcoming your fear, you can become elite. You can become remarkable at an area that previously you felt terrified you and I just know so many of our listeners right now will be resonating with this and I'm I'm looking at all my notes because I'm furiously scribbling as you're talking but I love that concept of that automatic negative thoughts that's the kind of initial instinct reaction but what you're teaching us Jill of you get that first response but then you start to look at and challenge that by going well how will I feel afterwards How will I feel when I've actually taken that brave step and allowed my fear to be the thing that helps me rise? How did you feel the day after?
1: I'll tell you how I felt the moment it was done. And I hope this doesn't sound arrogant. I felt invincible. Love it. It's an indescribable feeling to know that against a sold-out sold room. There must have been 300 people in that room uh, to have made people laugh and chuckle and laugh with me. And uh, where I, I started, I owned it, I played with it. I put on an Indian accent every now and then to <laughs> add some more flavor to it. And so I threw in <laughs> characters and I felt as though I was being completely me. And at ease with anything that happened. And so one thing people are afraid of, and so I felt amazing afterwards. However, to contribute to that, people are afraid of stuffing up. We're afraid of, in my case, stuttering or making a mistake or saying the wrong thing. I've learned that if that happens, I create what I call a drop moment. So if I stutter, I stop, I go, whoops, He's back (laughs) and I create a moment out of it. Or if I say something wrong, like I did in the impromptu talk, instead of saying Scotland, I said, I went to Tofu. And so I stopped and I looked at everybody and said, did I just say, um, I went to Tofu? I mean, Scotland, what the fuck? And I created a moment out of it and people loved it because they were with me the whole time. So I felt incredible straight after, but the next day it, it was indescribable. There are a few things in my life I've done where I felt this proud of myself that I did it. <laughs> I did <Yeah>. it.
0: <laughs> and, I mean, I think you get that high from doing something that sometimes your body tries to stop you from doing. Like I think sometimes there's this physical reaction too to, when it comes to public speaking and getting up and presenting our bodies sometimes do things, that I'm like, "Hey, no!" In my mind, I'm like, "No, no, I'm I'm doing this." But there's like, I like clam up. I'm like, if people could see what I'm doing physically, they would know that I'm like,
1: do, yeah. do you know what I mean? Uh, uh, yeah, I I once volunteered to de- d- deliver a 60 second poetry rap slam to a live live audience in a bar. That was terrifying. But I did it. <laughs> And I won the competition on my first attempt. So if you don't so try, good. you don't know. Oh, my, my my three minutes at speakership, I was intimidated by that because I'm in the room, we were in the room with accomplished presenters, some serious presenters in there. But instead of let, letting that affect me, another of the learnings I have from the books I read the football stuff I read is f- focus on your game. Mm. Don't worry about how anybody else plays. Don't worry about how the other stand-up comedians are doing. Don't worry about how, if, if I'm presenting after you, don't worry about her presentation. If it was great, bravo. Don't worry about anything else. I focus on my game. I do not change my, my game and I do not let my game be influenced by anything or anybody else. And I always train for the next match.
0: Yeah. Oh, We're going to go to a quick break. And when we come back, Sheila, I'd love to hear a bit about how you train and practice and you've learnt these things that we can take away practically and apply to our own public speaking.
1: We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money, and our Spotify exclusive show, My Millennial Daily. There's never
0: been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. All right, hit us with it. What are the things we can do and what are the things you do to train?
1: Sure. There are two parts of my training. One's the physical training, so my, my body and my mind. I meditate six days a week. I train six days a week, which is going to the gym. I run and I play soccer, football. It's a non-negotiable. I train six days a week, every week, and I've been doing so for, gosh, 15, 20 years now. I also eat a very strict, clean diet of between three and a half to 4,000 calories a day. I know what my carb, fat, and protein splits are, and I don't compromise on that. So it's a very streamlined diet. I eat the same thing all day, every day, and it works for me. I also have two cold showers every day, and twice a month I'll do ice baths because I find that's fantastic for controlling my breathing, my recovery, and my focus. Then there's the mental part. I always test myself in situations where I have to work my brain harder to coordinate my sentences or structure the things I want to say. And one of the things I do is I practice at home in front of my wife, who is a tough audience for me. She's tough. (laughs) I never want to know what I did well because I know what I do well. I always ask for three things I can do better. And part of that is evolving my talks consistently. So whenever I'm on stage, whether it's in front of five people or 500 people, I will always change 10 to 20% of my talks to test myself with my delivery, with my content, with my ideas. And I will always ask certain people in the audience to behave like pricks towards me because I want to know how to deal with that. So it's a combination of the physical prep and the mental prep and also the planning prep. So I find ways to use time. We've all got the same amount of time. It's 24 hours in a day. If you are a person who catches a bus to work or a train to work, what do you do during the bus ride or train ride? And say it's a half hour train ride. Do you read a book or do you watch TV? Do you listen to a podcast? I use that time to practice my talk. And to practice my talk, I put my headphones in my ear. I I don't have them at the moment, but they're the old school ones which have a cable. Now, the cable doesn't fit into my phone, and the headphones are dead. They don't work. They haven't worked for years. But I put my headphones in, and then I put the end into my pocket. I put my phone on silent, and then I talk to myself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So so people around you are thinking, he's on the phone talking to someone. You're like, no, no, I'm just
1: talking to myself. No, I'm, and one of the things I do is I'll stand up on on a bus and I'll face the audience and I'll talk my talk through. So they all think I'm on the phone, but I'm actually presenting to them. And I've done that on an airplane. I've presented to an entire cabin on a plane at train stations in Meyer and David Jones and supermarkets. <laughs>
0: I love it. I love it. I mean, it's amazing though how you're capitalising on every moment to plan and prep.
1: Ev- 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 anytime I can. Even today, I've used six lines from different talks as part in in my conversation to make sure that they feel right. But the other thing I'm constantly doing is finding new songs. So I have a playlist and I'll add to that playlist. And every time I find a new song which feels good, are played repeatedly, a hundred times. I'll understand where the signatures are, where the song drops and how I can write my script to where the signatures are.
0: Wow. There's so much that you must be having to, like, can I ask, when you were just talking then, what song was on for you at at that point?
1: At the moment, I'm listening to a mix called, I'm playing a mix called Emro let go. It's a 2021 track. It's beautiful.
0: Wow. Oh, I think there's so much when it comes to public speaking and hearing you and share so beautifully and eloquently about what it means to speak and to put yourself in uncomfortable situations to build the muscle. How... Can our listeners start to do what you're doing? So it's one of those funny things where all of a sudden someone comes and taps us on the shoulder and says, Oh, hey, Joe, can you jump up and speak about this thing to all staff next week? Like it often comes out of the blue, but those moments are so important because they can be this career catalyst for us. What advice would you have to someone who's, I guess, a bit of a novice, a bit green in this area of speaking? What can they do to build up their muscle?
1: Yeah, most people think public speaking is about standing on stage, delivering a TED talk or a keynote. And yeah, that's a a traditional type of speaking. However, it applies to every form of communication. So what the two of us are doing now is a form of public speaking. Some of the things which which I, I would recommend are one, go to networking events. It's a form of public speaking because we speak to people in a public place. And uh, a hack which I, I learned is when we go to an event and you're standing around a group of people and somebody asks you, hello, so what do you do? like we get so awkward (laughs) who's ever been asked hello what do you do who's ever asked what do you do (laughs) Yes, everybody put your hand up now yeah that's right (laughs) we've all we've all asked or been asked and so when we answer that question it's a form of public speaking and if we can articulate what, what what we say within 10 seconds make it interesting the memorable that's a way to practice two meetings Team meetings, have the courage to speak up in team meetings and be prepared and plan for, for what you want to say. And three, record a video on your phone, however, excuse me for doing this, most people will, will record a video from here, from that side. So we'll put our phones with the screen which faces us. Now, when we do that, we can see ourselves on screen, which adds a comfort factor to what we're recording. Turn your phone around so you don't see yourself on screen and speak only to the multiple cameras that are there. Do it every day for three weeks and then post a video or post a series of videos.
0: Yeah, Wow. <laughs> I'm in pausing. <laughs> I'm having my pause, breathe, thinking about doing that because for me and we talked about this. I'm an, I can get I can be like an awkward egg sometimes and be like I don't want to talk to the camera. I'm so awkward. Like I love podcasts because no one sees your face unless we post this on social media, which we will, by the way, but it'll mainly be you shell, not me, but <laughs> like I'm an awkward egg. And so doing that, that idea of filming myself every three weeks on my phone to get better at speaking to camera freaks me out. Oh,
1: not every three weeks, every day for three weeks. And from the back of our phone. So if if, if if we look at the front of our phone, there's only one camera there. Whereas if we turn our phone around, there's three cameras there. So the quality is better and we can't see ourselves, which is unsettling because we can't see ourselves. However, manage that and then share your videos and break through the discomfort. And if you're you're more adventurous, pop your headphones in your ear. stand up on a bus and present to the bus.
0: <laughs> I love it. I have often find myself practicing speeches in the car as I'm driving. So things that I need to say and I'll practice it out and I'll record an audio, like a voice memo and listen back. And I've found that's really helped me. But I think you're, what you're encouraging us to do is to push through that thing that in the thing in us, that our instinct is saying, no, don't do that. No, Shelly, don't post a thing don't post a video of yourself because you're an awkward egg. I'm going to now from this do the, okay, I'm committing to you, Shil, on this podcast. I'm going to record myself every day for three weeks with my phone turned around so I can't see myself and then I'm going to post it and I'm going to tag you. (laughs) But I think what you're telling us and what we're learning is say yes to things that do terrify you a bit but you know that afterwards you're going to feel like I've achieved something, like I've done the thing.
1: You say yes. And what stops us from speaking is the fear of being in front of people. And so the more we can get accustomed to being in front of people, the more we learn to manage that fear of judgment and bolsing up and failure or not doing a good job. As we learn to manage that, we feel more comfortable. And it's a lot of people say... Be authentic and be yourself and uh, however, it's, a, it's an easy thing to say, but to actually be comfortably you in front of an audience takes a lot of inner in work. You need to be comfortable with everything about you, the way you look, the way you speak, your imperfections, because there's nowhere to hide. So we need to be comfortable with everything.
0: One of the things that I, I know a lot of people struggle with in this space of, of presenting and let's say speaking up in meetings, because I think that's a really good example. And that can be those moments where I know you've felt it, I've felt it, where you're in a meeting and you get that little nerve thing happening where you're like, I need to say something. But then you're in like your automatic negative thoughts are going, shut up, don't say anything, just sit back. But you you feel like, oh no, this is important. I, I need to contribute what strategies do you have to get over? Cause one of the things that stops us from saying something is what will people think of me? Like, do you just not care about what other people think or how do you get over the fear of what other people think?
1: It's the opposite. I, I'm, um, I'm conscious of what other people think. And uh, when I post the videos or content, of course I care. However, I don't care about the backlash. So I don't care about the negativity that I get because there's trolls everywhere. What I've learned to do in a meeting, especially if I want to say something, is framing what I'm about to say. And by delivering a frame and informing everybody that I'd like to express my thoughts here. You may not agree with this, however, it's okay but it's on my mind and I'd like to explain why. So by framing it, we've already acknowledged that it might not be for everybody. However, don't ever frame what you want to say by putting yourself down. I.e., i E I've I've just got this bit to say, you might not like it, or I don't think it's important, but I'd like to say it anyway. Don't say that. Avoid Mm. that. Frame what you'd like to say and then, deliver it and what i've done in the past is as it's going around the room and i sense i want to say something i'll write it down so that i have it there in front of me and then i'll talk off the notes if i need to do that
0: yeah and even knowing now i'm just thinking about how we can really tangibly apply this so in the meeting context where you feel that nerves but you want to say something write it down and remember that 60 second breakdown of the first 10 seconds. We allow ourselves, our voice to kind of settle, and then we build our confidence in the next 20 seconds. And then that cadence. I think having that in my mind and having that in our minds is so helpful.
1: Before you speak in a meeting or anywhere, before you speak, take a huge breath, fill your lungs to capacity, and then speak as you exhale. Because when you ride the wave of your breath, you've activated what's called your parasympathetic system, which calms you down, which enables you to speak with more, what's the word I'm looking for? More eloquently.
0: Oh, I know when I get nervous, I do the fast talking and I'm a fast talker anyway. So I'm like, blah, 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 blah. But then when I get nervous, it's just like a... bullet train and everyone's like slow down like <laughs> so I think that idea of the breath and and speak your first your first sentence on the exhale I love it
1: absolutely on the weekend there was a moment I remember of real panic where they had they had this they had an image of a castle and then they had an image of an old man who sat with a cup of tea in front of him And then it went to a caterpillar cocoon. No, to a cocoon and a butterfly. And I hit this moment of panic where I thought, how the fuck do I link this? (laughs) So I, I stopped, I looked at it, and I asked them, how am I supposed to link this, man? And I took a breath, calmed myself down, and then I went with it. And I paused for five seconds before I got back into it.
0: And it's funny when you're speaking 5 seconds feels really long. Like
1: oh, my longest pause has been 42 seconds. Yeah, wow. I wanted to die. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you know what, it's so funny because the pause when you're speaking is like, "Oh my gosh, this is the end, the world is ending." But for the for the people listening, often that actually gives them space. Of course it does. A pause in speaking can be a really powerful, compelling moment.
1: Of course. It allows the speaker to recalibrate our mind, get back on track, have a drink, take a breath, relax ourselves, and it lets the audience digest everything. It lets them check their phones if they need to. go to the bathrooms if they need to. (laughs) So it allows us to do a number of things. However, to understand how to pause, we need to get comfortable with silence. Mm. And we struggle to get comfortable with silence because of ants. There are always thoughts in our head.
0: Yeah, that's such a good point about silence. And I reckon TED Talks have also impacted our Comfortability levels with silence Because TED Talks are so scripted And we've seen this like Level of public speaking where You know you do this really short Sharp polished as Presentation and then now we all think Oh well that's how I have to get up and present If I'm presenting to all staff and I just think yeah, I don't reckon I mean I love TED Talks but I also love authenticity and I like The messiness that comes with A raw yeah communicator yeah. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I agree. I'm he- heavily involved with TED. I do a lot of work with TEDx Perth, and I've coached a lot of TED speakers, or TEDx speakers rather. And you're right, it has set a benchmark in what's expected with public speaking. And on one hand, I love the benchmark it has set because whenever we speak, we're asking for an audience's time. And do it justice, practice, prepare and deliver well Because people have, people are sacrificing time to listen to you speak However, on the other hand, it doesn't mean every presentation has to be perfectly curated Perfectly built and tailored with no umming and no ahhing And it has to have an ebb and a flow and peak and trough and storylines at the right time It doesn't always have to be like that especially if you're a non-professional speaker and you wanted to to deliver a, for example, a work presentation to a potential client. There are ways to build that and package that so that it's conversational and it's a facilitated presentation, not a TED Talk presentation. And there's a concept that I've developed called story sharing, which is a shift from storytelling. Now, the world love storytelling and it's a concept which is spoke has been spoken about for decades however in my mind storytelling is storytelling i'm telling you a story story sharing is when together we co-create our narrative and we encourage each other to share stories and when we do that it's a better way to build trust so if i tell tell stories constantly it's a one way conversation whereas story sharing the idea i have is it's a two way conversation
0: and what would that look like practically when you're speaking or you're talking with a client say that idea of of presenting to a client how yep. would how could we use that technique
1: the the way we use it i've designed a keynote around this story share story sharing is b- b- based on three th- three strategies one understanding how we w- w- we satisfy the human brain emotion and and logic two how we build uh, how we create trust blah, 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 trust through predictability so b- when we become predictable in our delivery then it's a faster way to build trust and three understanding language theory and combining empathy, guiding and clarifying language into one. And when we learn to do that and package all three together, it creates an environment where we encourage our audience to share stories while we share ours.
0: I love the power of empathy too, that empathy piece for connecting with the audience, with those people that you're listening that are that are there, instead of just pushing info and just actually having that empathy for the people who are listening, I reckon it changes your whole approach to communication. Yeah. yeah, It's such a different model. I love that idea, story sharing. So we've probably got time for one more question. Sure. I'd love to know from you, Shell, what do you think are the biggest mistakes people make when it comes to public
1: speaking? What are the biggest mistakes people make when it comes to public speaking? there are the usual mistakes where people don't practice okay oh practice practice for example for all the listeners you will either have been to or you will go to an event where they go around the room and ask you for your 60 seconds Have you ever been to one of those where you've got 60 seconds to introduce yourself to everybody and goes around the room and your heart starts thumping and it gets closer (laughs) and closer and closer and then you spew word vomit and (laughs) and it always sounds the same. Hello, my name is XYZ. I'm the CEO of XYZ or I'm the HR manager for XYZ. We're an innovative, dynamic firm who help people build their websites and do X, Y, Z. I'd love to have a chat afterwards. It always sounds the same. That's the template that we use. So that's an example of prepare what your 60 second is because it's an opportunity to stand out. Yes. Prepare that. That's one. Two, absolutely nail your opening 60 seconds. Nail it put extra effort into that put extra emphasis into that that's two and three learn how to use your voice and understand how to adjust your tonality from kinesthetic to aud- to auditory to visual because when we do that it's it's a it's part of a concept called broad spectrum thinking where through tonality we engage with more people and so, a mistake I see a lot of presenters make is not not a monotonous tone. It's a it's a kinesthetic tone the whole time. And when we do that, it's well, it is a monotonous tone. If it's the same tone the entire time, then it's a killer. Mm. We feel no emotion from that person. So, one, prepare. Two. Use your voice and three, kill your opening 60 seconds.
0: Wow. That opening 60 seconds, I I really feel that on a deep level because that's the make or break. That Because if we start off on on a bad note, we get in our heads. Instead of thinking about the people listening and actually having that empathy and building connection, we just get stuck in our heads and we're like, Oh, I really suck at this. Or we And all those automatic negative thoughts just swirl around. And then we can't actually engage and connect with people.
1: No, we can't. And people can sense it.
0: They totally can. How? Uh, I know I said, one more, I said one more question last, but here's my last question. <laughs> Tell me about your preparation for, uh, let's say you've got a presentation coming up and you have to present to a uh, client meeting with some big important people. What does that preparation and practice look like for you? Like, do you write down your kind of, is it like scripted? When you say prepare and plan, what does it look like?
1: Let's talk about the context. So what context are we referring to here? Is it a meeting or a presentation or a keynote? What's the context?
0: I think it's a presentation. You've been asked to present a 10 minute update on a project that you've been running. In the business. Okay,
1: you've been asked to present a 10-minute update on a project which you've been working on. Some of the things which I would look for in preparation are, one, who's going to be in the room? And of the people that are going to be in the room, what are, what are the personality types? And based on the personality types, what's the level of information which we're delivering? So for example, if you have a a CFO, a GM, a creative director and HR director all in the room together, how are we structuring story and data to to satisfy the different people in, in the room? Because the CFO is more likely to want the numbers and the figures behind what we're talking about to ask if there are any specific areas they are looking for. I always ask the question. I, I, was pre- I presented to an a accounting firm, a national accounting firm, th- four months ago. And prior to the meeting, I asked them, tell me three things you would like to know. And based on the three things they would like, they, they wanted t- to know, I built my content around that. And three, just because we have 10 minutes allocated, it doesn't mean we have 10 minutes allocated. I don't ever go with that. I, I in ten minutes I would present for seven minutes, and I would leave three for Q and A. And in the time that I present, the three things I would cover would be a high level of each one to give them an idea of what I'm thinking about. And then in Q and A, I would open up for a deep, a deeper conversation into it.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love thinking about margin. How do we make sure every time we present there's margin? Because often the other side of it is if you're in a meeting context and a meeting runs over and your time gets squished, what people tend to do is I'll do my full presentation but I'll just do it in half the time.
1: (laughs) No, I, 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 I do this. I take off my watch and I say, I ask them, so how long do we have? 10 minutes, great. And I put my watch down in front of everybody and I look at my watch because I want them to know that I'm conscious of time and I will be done in seven minutes. Bang. Oh. Therefore, if we run over, it's because you didn't fulfill your time obligation. I fulfilled mine. And then there's a layer of other strategy in, in there around story sharing, understanding the room, gesturing, eye contact. There's a there's gosh, many other strategies which can go into it.
0: You know what I love so much about the watch example? It's accountability for you watching the time, but it's also saying I respect everyone in this room's time. Like I respect you and so I'm not going to waffle on, rave on and take way too long because I value your time. I've got empathy for you and I just love it. There is so much in this conversation. My note-taking has gone to a next level today And I could, I feel like we're already at one hour and I'm like, when did that, where did that time go? Shil, I know people are going to want to get in contact with you because you do some amazing, amazing courses to actually help people in this space. How can they find out more about your work?
1: My website, chatterboxps.com.au. Or my LinkedIn. If you follow me on my LinkedIn, I share heaps of content on speaking and strategies and the things I do. And it's all based on stories. So if you follow my content on LinkedIn, you'll know that everything's got a story behind it.
0: Amazing. Well, Shil, will have all that stuff in the show notes. So everyone uh, who wants to find out more about Shil, you can jump in the show notes, find him on LinkedIn, Connect and Chatterbox, go and make it happen. This stuff is so important and it's such a career catalyst. This, if we yeah. if we get good at public speaking, we get good at communicating in an engaging way. It can really be the rocket fuel in your career. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for catching up and hanging out. She'll really appreciate your time.
1: You rock.
0: Thank you, Shelley. <laughs> See ya. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio
1: sits and pay respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money, and our Spotify exclusive show, My Millennial Daily.